What up, what up, what up? This is episode one of the Sprinkly Sports Podcast, where we talk sports and things. I am one half of your hosting duo, Tank. Happy to be here for everybody. Joining me today, just like every episode, is Big Homie Sprinkle. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Tank? I'm doing great. Absolutely fantastic. So normally we're going to be pretty heavy on the sports stuff, but today I wanted to start with a little bit more serious of a topic. Uh, it's obviously something that's really important to you and me as uh, you know, black people. And that is representation in teaching and like how that affects students. So you're obviously a teacher, well not obviously for the people who don't know, Sprinkle is a teacher. So what made you want to be a teacher? And when did you know that that's what you wanted to do? I kind of thought about wanting to be a teacher just uh, middle of high school, probably sophomore, junior year. Um, I knew it would give me an opportunity to give back to my community, uh, work with kids, and um, be able to, you know, eventually get back to coaching and doing what I like. I mean, I love sports, obviously. That's what our podcast is about. But uh, I've always had uh, coaches and teachers who were not, you know, your typical-looking white mom or dad, you know. And um, For sure. that inspired me to step out of the comfort zone and uh, become a teacher. For sure. And you chose biology. Was it important for you as a black male to choose a STEM subject as opposed to like English or history or something like that? Um, no, really just growing up, I always was really good at math and science. I knew I wanted to be a math teacher at one point, but I just, math kind of just gets harder. Science got more interesting. So I made that decision once I uh, graduated to focus on science. For sure, for sure. And for you and your uh, growing up in education, did you have any black teachers? Um, not black teachers. I had a black principal in elementary school, and I had uh, black coaches from like seventh grade to my senior year. Yeah, I actually, for me, I can't even remember if I went to a school that had more than one black teacher. I think there, there was one black teacher at my high school that I know of, and it was the football coach. Uh, so... <laughs> That kind of shows you that he, he may or may not have just been there for, for one reason. Mm -hmm. So that actually gets us to uh, where we wanted to go with this. Why do you feel like representation is important in teaching? Like having you know young black students have black teachers? Uh, and what do you think are the benefits of that? Um, it's important just because it gives them gives these kids another person who they look who looks like them that they can aspire to be um i mean you always see enough athletes obviously everyone wanted to play sports because the people you're seeing on sundays and mondays and every other day of the week <clears throat> they look like them but we don't see enough black doctors black lawyers politicians outside of sports just because there's not really commercials or a platform for those people so for them to see a black teacher you know 13 of their 18 years as kids it really gives them a chance to be like, that's somebody I could be. That's something I could do. 100% because a lot of times you're right. Like you don't have black role models in, in other fields. All you typically see are athletes and, you know, musicians. 
And it kind of gives the impression that like, that's the only way to be successful as a black person, as opposed to, you know, you have a lot of white kids. Like if your dad is a construction worker or owns a business or, you know, whatever it is, they have a lot more examples of just different things you can do to like be successful and be able to give back. And it's not to say that there's not role models in this field. It's just that there's less interactions with these kids for them because they're not a publicized on a big platform. It doesn't give them a chance to see them. Like you said, a construction worker, if their dad's not a construction worker, they're not going to see another black construction worker out there. Right. Right. And so how do you think we get more males and black males into teaching? <clears throat> I think just in like our country, society has moved away from like sex roles and like further away from the, the, you know, misogyny and the points of views that have like made our country. So just telling people it's okay for guys in general to be teachers, like it's okay for guys to be uh, um, nurses. And then on the other side, it's just okay for women to be a construction worker or be a doctor. Just, you know, seeing not it as like a, a, a woman's job and seeing it as like a job anybody could do. And obviously it keeps, it snowballs. If you have black teachers or non-white teachers, you're probably, if you're a non-white person, you're probably more likely to want to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then lastly on this subject, what are some of your goals in teaching and coaching could be included in this as well? So in terms of teaching, my, one of my biggest goals is to be in a school district for, you know, 20, 20 plus years, 25, 30, whatever that number is. Um, I just always thought it was really cool having uh, teachers that my mom had. I had that in high school and I always think that's really cool being like, oh, I know your parents or I had your parents as a student. Like, yeah. that's really cool and it helps you establish you in the community. Um, and then in terms of coaching, my goal is to uh, get as many kids as who want it the collegiate level and the high school level coach primarily. And then um, eventually win a state championship in every sport I coach, which is a uh, basketball, football and track. And um, I mean, besides COVID knocking things out with my track team this year, we had a outside chance of being a state champ this year and a league champ in general. But uh, when things get back to normal and in my long term of coaching and teaching, those would be my, uh, my big, big two goals. Yeah. Can't wait for COVID to be, done so that we can all get back to you know doing all the things we love to do obviously that's curtailed a lot of stuff for everybody absolutely can't go out and hoop no more either yeah it's a shame it's a shame so let's switch over to some more sports specific topics here so in terms of the nfl you're a saints fan we know they're super bowl contenders this year would you call this a Super Bowl or bus year for them? Um, <clears throat> absolutely. Just with uh, how many wins they've compiled the last couple of years and uh, contract stuff coming up. And um, obviously the future of our quarterback, Drew Brees, is very much looking like if it's not this year, next year is the end. But uh, with how contracts are going to work, we'd uh, lose more talent before we could replenish it if we don't strike right now. Um, these last two years have showed us they're right there and uh, they're very much – a Super Bowl caliber team, and I don't think they've gotten worse this offseason. So definitely Super Bowl or bust. Yeah, speaking of Drew Brees, that's kind of been the talk this whole week in the mainstream media. Is Brees done? Does his arm have enough velocity? Do you think he can hold up for a whole season? 
And if he can't, do you think Jameis can step in and at least do what Teddy did last year and keep them afloat while Breeze maybe gets some rest? I mean, <clears throat> it's easy to say, like, he's not having a great first two weeks, which it's very early in the season. I mean, he's still having a top 10, top 12 quarterback season right now. Um, if he can't hold up for the whole season, I think Jameis is better than Teddy. Um, I just think Teddy is more conservative and probably easier to coach and game plan for. And Sean Payton would be good at either of them. But uh, I think our supporting cast is better than it was last year. So if Jameis went in and he's in theory worse than Teddy, but the supporting cast is better, I think he'd do just fine. Um, obviously, Teddy Bridgewater went 5-0 and last year starting for us. And one of those games uh, versus the Cowboys was purely on the defense. They won 12-10. to And I think our defense is just as good and the offensive weapons are just as good, if not better, right now. Yeah, the offensive weapons are definitely there. Obviously, Kamara just got a new contract. Uh, but Michael Thomas is out with that high ankle sprain. If that keeps him out for a couple of weeks, is that going to completely derail the same season? I don't think the whole season. I think um, the Saints have a really soft middle of the schedule. It looks like on paper to me uh, the first three weeks and then we, the last three weeks are going to be really tough. But if um, Michael Thomas comes back and we're worst-case scenario, one and two, and he comes back and he just flows right back in, I mean, nobody in the division can catch us and take a significant lead in two or three weeks. So it's still early in the season. We'll have a bye week if – for some reason it ends up lingering. But uh, I think if we come into week seven after the bye week at like four and three, we're still in the good spot. Not as good as we've been in the last couple of years, but we still have a shot to, you know, fight for the one or two seed. Yeah. So on the division going into the year, we all kind of thought that that was going to be one of the tougher divisions in sports. Uh, you have the Saints, you have the Buccaneers with Tom Brady. They're off to a rough start as well. The Falcons and Panthers, I think, are both 0-2. Uh, so, in terms of old quarterbacks, who, in your opinion, has looked worse this year? Jameis, not, excuse me, Breeze or Brady? Well, obviously, as a Saints fan, I've watched more of the Saints games. They've both been prime time for a reason. Um, Tom Brady's last game versus the Panthers, he didn't really overwhelm. I mean, uh little over 200 yards, a touchdown, and interception. So, overall, throughout the season, on paper, it looks like Drew's played better. I mean, I think part of that right now is uh, just the consistency of the coaching staff already knowing the game plan. Um, I would say right now, Drew looks more comfortable. I mean, he looks limited in some aspects, just not having Michael Thomas and obviously not having reps with Sanders yet. Mm -hmm. Same with Brady. Um, he gets there, and then he already loses a – starting wide receiver into week two, so he looks okay. Obviously, there's the very obvious um, misread between him and Mike Evans that played a huge factor in the Bucks saints game. So I obviously am going to lead a little bit towards Drew Brees, but it's not to say by the end of the season um, Tom doesn't finish as the better quarterback. Yeah, uh, but if we're being real, these Tampa Bay fans, they've got to be watching the games thinking, hey, uh, Jameis could have did this. You know, uh, Tom Brady with three touchdowns, three interceptions. He's actually on pace uh, to do worse than Jameis this year. So hopefully he is able to uh, turn that around, or or hopefully he doesn't actually. In in terms for you, because you are a Saints fan. 
Let's transition to the NBA now. Let's start with the Western Conference Finals. We have the Nuggets, the the Lakers, excuse me, are up 2-1 on the Nuggets. They play tonight as we're recording this on Thursday, September 24th. Do you see the Nuggets winning tonight? And do you think they have a chance to come back in this series? I think both of those are possible. Um, I obviously feel like the Lakers are are shooing right in favor right now to the, win the championship, and obviously that entails the Western Conference Finals. Um, it's easy to forget that uh, the AD three basically made this uh, flip the series. It could be two one the other way. Yeah, we could be talking about will the Lakers tie it up or the Nuggets go up three one. Um, so I can very much see this series going six. Um, if the Nuggets win tonight, I would guess it's going seven. But I could also see the Lakers finishing it in five. Um, there's that much of a talent discrepancy, I think. I think uh, the Nuggets got to play at like a 95 percentile, while if the Lakers play around 70 percent, they could still uh, hit a game winner and be up 2-1 like they are. Yeah, I think uh... – if the if the Lakers win tonight and they go up three one, the Nuggets are going to be sitting there thinking we've got them right where we want them after back <laughs> from two three one leads already. And I've actually been really impressed with the Nuggets this whole postseason. Obviously, Jokic with the passing, but what I think goes a little bit unnoticed is that Jamal Murray's handle and his finishing is like at an elite level. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, Jamal's looking good. He's had a couple of those. Uh, I mean, there's only happened now four times where there's been a two fifty point games in a single series, and I mean, Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray did it against each other in the first round, and nobody expected Jamal to do that. So that was crazy seeing that happen. Yeah, I think if if he can have a couple games where he goes over thirty and Jokic does his his normal stuff, I think they they one hundred percent do have a chance as much as the Lakers are favored. So moving now to the Celtics Heat series, that the Heat are up 3-1. I'm not sure anyone expected them to be in this position at the start of the season, what seems like 10 years ago. They've only lost two games in the entire postseason. Is Jimmy Butler the best player in the Eastern Conference? If we're talking about right now at this moment, I think he's the best player left of these two teams. Uh, Starting next regular season, we'd have to see what Kevin looks like when he comes back. But, I mean, I would say even right now, it's really a toss-up between him and Giannis and Jason Tatum. And, I mean, Jimmy's showing with his team what he's doing against those guys. I think uh, he might be the best defensive player in the East for sure, which – might be better than being the best all-around player. Yeah, it's just like, as a coach, he's your dream star player. He doesn't need the ball or shots in the first three quarters. He does whatever the team needs. He facilitates. He plays defense. He's a vocal leader you know, on the bench and on the floor. And then once you get to the fourth quarter, it's Jimmy Bucket's time. Yeah, no, I I know he's had a few games in these playoffs where he's taken less than 10 shots and they've come out with wins more times than not. Um, he knows when to pick and choose, when to turn up. 
obviously the last six, seven, eight minutes of the game. And uh, there was a few games where he attacked early, took his foot off the gas in the second and third and let uh, Bam and Jay and uh, Tyler Hero all get going. And uh, he knows how to be a 1A, and he also knows how to sit back and uh, just play hard defense and focus on that for a couple minutes at a time. So that's what you really like to see in a wing player, high-level defense and uh, picking and choosing at the right time on offense. Yeah, so you mentioned Tyler Hero. That's been another big storyline so far in the bubble. In game four, he has 37 points. And so that brings me to the only logical conclusion. And it's crazy to say this about a rookie. Is Tyler Hero the best white American player in the NBA? Oh wow, um, that's a, that's an interesting question. I'd have you'd have to go and look and see who else even qualifies for that. Yeah, right there's, now. there's not a lot to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> who are my other options, honestly? Uh, I mean, like his Alex Caruso. White? No, I can tell you by his last name. <laughs> uh, yeah, Zach Levine. I don't. I don't think is is white. He might be. I should know that he's from Washington. Tyler here, uh, he scored uh, double digits in every one of the games in these playoffs, too. Most of them off the bench. I think all of them, actually. I think all of them are off the bench. And what's interesting, they put the graphic up in game four, and I'm looking at it, and I think game four made either 13 or 14 uh, consecutive games of 10-plus points for the rookie. And the record is actually 19. And the first thought I had was, is he even going to get enough games to have a chance? <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, you got to assume after tomorrow's game, that might put him at 14. So either they're sweeping in the playoffs or they're getting swept in the, I mean, in the finals, they're sweeping or getting swept is what you're telling me. You never know. The Lakers, they, they have two of the top five players. There's, always the chance that if it does go for either way, he he doesn't get the chance to to touch that record. That'd be truly unfortunate. And I think it's just to start his playoff career. I think it would just continue in the next season, though. Okay. See, I thought it was a rookie stat. I thought it was for just rookie year. So you could be right. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a few, actually. I think you're correct. It was rookies. I also saw uh, 37 points, second most ever by – uh, someone under 21. Yeah, second only to Magic. Crazy company. Yeah. I think uh, Derek, Derek Rose and Brandon Jennings are the other two. Yeah, I believe that Brandon Jennings' career was much too short. Yeah, hopefully in this upcoming draft, a lot of these guys aren't having uh, short careers. Um, what do you think the Hawks are going to do at the six? At six, if I'm the Hawks, they they invested into Clint Capella, which kind of limits their options, uh, depending on if someone like Wiseman or Toppin fall. They are obviously set at point guard, uh, which is you know kind of known to be a point guard heavy draft. I think you have to go mm-hmm. best available uh, still, but preferably a wing. Uh, Denny Abdiha, if he falls to six, 
Uh, Isaac Okoro, I think, could play the two uh, next to, you know, say Cam Reddish or DeAndre Hunter. But, you know, they, they've got to go best available. And one of the reasons I like Okoro for them so much is just the defensive versatility. He's a 6'6", you know, wing-type player. Um, the shooting could be improved, but that's that's probably who I think would be the best fit for them at six. Where and I heard you say – Sorry. Oh, ahead. sorry. I heard you say his name. Uh, one of the guys I was really liking for the Knicks at eight um, is Denny uh, Adia. I think he would be a good fit on a team that, you know, kind of struggles with that 3-4 spot now that we got rid of Morris. And uh, mm-hmm. in a perfect world, we'd move some more of our guys from that spot. Um, Kevin Knox clearly hasn't come to fruition now going into, I believe, his fourth year. Um, I yeah. think Denny would motivate him or really make him show his stuff and either be on or off the team going into the future with uh, uh, Thibodeau. So I think, uh, yeah, Denny would be a great pick there. I also was looking at and like Obi Toppin, like you were saying. Um, obviously, if we got Obi, we'd probably want to move some of our bigs. And uh, somebody else that's a little bit more on the low-key side, he's not getting as much talk about, but he is looking like a top 10, top 12 prospect, definitely a lottery pick. Um, Devin Vassell out of Florida State, uh, yeah. six seven guard. He's looking interesting, especially in that, that 7 through 11 range, so – He's somebody I'm considering I would like to see the Knicks take is as a, a dark horse pick, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a solid one. He's got good size, um, you know, could play next to RJ. And since, like you said, you're a little bit full-on bigs, he gives you another guard wing type to play on the perimeter. I will yeah, say that. Uh, I don't love topping for the Knicks, uh, only because your best player is probably Mitchell Robinson. And uh, Toppin can shoot, but I don't know if the shooting is going to be enough to play with somebody who, in my mind, is is a non-shooter at this point in Robinson. As long as Obi can be better than our uh, theoretical trade of Julius Randle, I would uh, like him. That's a fair point. Feels like he would he would fit that role pretty well if that was a replacement. It would still be an upgrade in overall spacing on the court, which is kind of uh, sad to say. But uh, when you have one of the historically worst three-point shooting teams uh, of the last 10 years, you know, you any upgrade at shooting is an upgrade at shooting. Yeah, true. And it kind of handicaps uh, R.J. Barrett if he has no space on the floor. If you're just able to focus in on him, there's really not much that he can do in terms of developing as a ball handler. Yeah, no, that's definitely something he needs to work on is get his playmaking ability up for sure. And so transitioning back to the bubble, there was some interesting news. You know, there's been pretty much no big hiccups in terms of you know, there's been no positive tests. Um, you haven't heard too many crazy stories, except for one. So have you heard about the Daniel House situation? Absolutely. For anyone that hasn't heard, 
he was caught sneaking one of the COVID-19 testing personnel into his hotel room for several hours. Now, in my mind, I don't really see this as too much of an issue. You know, they're in there for weeks, months. They're all by themselves. They're used to a different kind of lifestyle. But, you know, there's another side to this story. Daniel House is married with four kids. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't think the Rockets would have beaten the Lakers anyways, but he definitely didn't help their chances. And I guess what I'm getting at is what is what are your thoughts on this whole situation, this debacle with Daniel House and his marriage? Yeah, well, it, it's all kind of uh, it's it's comical from a sense. Um, it's messed up from another sense, but uh, yeah, to have it all come out like it did, and he tried to deny it, and then uh, eventually owned up to it. I mean, it made impact on their their matchup with the Lakers, like you said, probably wasn't going to win that, but uh, he was there to go to LeBron stopper and he just left and they, uh, he, he got kicked out of the bubble and they went 0 three without him. So, um, I mean, it's interesting looking forward because I know he's under contract with them for two more seasons. So I don't know how the organization as a whole looks at him. If he can uh, uphold to the roles that, I mean, everyone else in the bubble were able to uphold to. So as far we'll as see how know. that played goes forward. As far as public knowledge is aware, correct. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's an interesting story for sure. Yeah, I, and what's crazy is I think by the time this happened, or by the time the news was coming out, they were the families were like uh, in quarantine to get into the bubble. I don't know if his wife had decided she wasn't going to come. Obviously, they have the four kids, but. Like, if I'm some of these players and I don't have kids or I don't have a wife or a long-term girlfriend, I'm working together with some of these other players to, like, build our own roster inside the bubble, if you know what I'm saying. Like, you get four guests, like, boom, I'm bringing her, 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 and her. These are the Instagram ads, you know. And then, you know, you're going to somebody else on your team or somebody on the other team, like, yo, who you bring in? Yo, you with just the girlfriend and no kids, can I get three of your spots? Like, you know, because these guys, they're used to this kind of lifestyle. And, you know, I heard Matt Barnes talk about it in an interview. He said that sex was part of his routine, and he's not sure he could do it. Talking about uh, Tyler Hero bringing in his girlfriend and three other influencers all in his room. Gonna have some problems. Hey, you, you <laughs> did say he is the best white American player in the NBA. Maybe he's doing it off the court as well. He's living his best life. I know he got his current girlfriend uh, via just a couple eye emojis, so that's how it's going in 2020. And that's all it takes. Sometimes, you know, you drop a couple emojis on the gram, the comments. Uh, speaking of Instagram, she went Devin Booker to the one of the Jenners. Uh, I like cherries. That's all. He, that's all he had to say to get some attention. Yeah, yeah. You know, infamous Devin Booker. 
infamous. And on that note, that's been episode one of the Sprinkly Sports Podcast. I am Tank. Joining me was Sprinkle. Catch us next time. Peace.